Yeah, everyone says, "Oh, the millennials—they don't want to work." It, it's it's not the millennials. It's every twenty-something. It was the it was Gen X. It was Gen Y. Whenever you're in your twenty-somethings, you you don't take you don't want to work. You don't want to do what the generation before you did. And then when you get to be forty, fifty years old, you're then saying, "Oh my God, those twenty-year-olds." So it's not anything new. This has been going on forever. <clears throat> get a job, you lazy kids. <laughs> Well-being. Lighting innovation and user centric design. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. This is Resi Week episode 404 Converging Tech. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matty Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Mr. Dennis Holzer. He's the CEO of the Powerhouse Alliance. How you doing, Dennis? Matt, I'm terrific. Thanks for having me and good to see you. Hey, good to see you. Glad you're here. Then we have one of my favorite people in New York, Mr. Mark Feinberg. He's the president of Home Theater Advisors. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing good, Matt. I must be the only person you know in New York then. So No, so many people have moved. <laughs> Oh, that, might, that must be it. Oh, I knew there was, it was a reason. Too easy. No, it was just, just too easy. I'm doing oh. great, Matt. Been a long time. Thanks for remembering about me and having me back on the show again. Of course. All right. Let's kick this off with a story that comes to us from CE Pro. Should we focus on work-life balance or work-life well-being? Shifting employee attitude towards the concept of juggling two separate lives is causing many to view the traditional approach to work-life balance balance as archaic today okay so we we will get into this but i'm, I'm just gonna work-life balance we can't even call that a traditional approach because it's only been around for like 15 years so first of all pause on that for a second all right go read the article uh nick does a, a really good job of looking at the uh, the numbers on a couple of polls on this from, um, excuse me, uh, Jim Pass, as well as uh, discussing whether the concept of work-life balance is outdated and how work-life balance maybe should shift into work-life well-being, um, where we just focus on how the work gets done. All right. Um, I am doing my best to be positive on this and not just shred this to pieces because I don't believe in this uh, concept at all. Um, Dennis, let me start with you on this and hopefully you can bail me out. How much of this is reality as far as work-life balance, work-life well-being, however you want to phrase it? Um, how much of it is reality for not not the general populace but for our industry it like does this exist what should we be looking for trying to achieve so my answer is i probably will be known as having a very bad attitude towards this also um yes, yes. you know I, I, people you're right it's it's been around forever it, to me it's not anything new and the fact of the matter is when you apply for a job, you're told predominantly what you're going to be doing. And I think it's up to the employee to figure out work-life balance, not the employer. The employer owns a company. He obviously gets jobs. He wants you to do the work. Um, 
you know, we've all been in this situation, I think, where some days the day ends at three o'clock and some days it ends at six or seven or eight o'clock. Um, but for an employee and frankly, for an employer, I think the most important thing is that on the due date, you get your paycheck and your paycheck to me determines to the employee. Yes, this is something I want to do or it's something I don't want to do it like this. So I got to go elsewhere. I, I don't I don't agree with it being in the an employer situation. Um, I think the employees just got to make a decision. And if they don't like what they're doing or how they're doing it or what they're asked, being asked to do, then frankly, I think you need to move on. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. All right, Mark. Um, I, I have so many directions. I kind of want to go on this, but <laughs> that's okay. Whatever you ask, I'm going to answer whatever I want to answer. So go ahead. I know <laughs> there, there's been a bunch of like videos that have made the rounds right of the I, I think the first real really big one i saw was of an employee walking into twitter back when it was still twitter i think it was just before elon bought it and she walks in and she does the you know i'm in the office today and i'm gonna go go get a smoothie from the smoothie bar and then i'm gonna go have a massage or you know something ridiculous and then i'm gonna go take a meeting and then I'm going to go to lunch and, and get something at this. And, and then I'm going to go to, to like the meditation room. And then maybe I'll take another meeting and, and then I'm going home. Right. And it was this very, supposedly it was real. Um, but it was that, that whole, like all the perks of, of, of those jobs. And then there was one that that's made the rounds the last couple of weeks of a recent graduate who has been interviewing and getting to Dennis's point, that job description of, you know, we expect you here at eight, you have, you know, a 15 minute break here, a 15 minute break here, 30 minutes for lunch, and then you're done at five. And it's this like mind melt of how do people live like this? And then I look at our industry and, you know, we've in my personal company, we've been going through employees rather quickly the last couple of years. And the biggest complaint has always been the like, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. <laughs> like I can't have a, I barely have a social life because you expect us here at, at like eight, which means I get to leave my house at seven. And then I'm exhausted by the end of the day. How much of this is, you know, caught up in just that whole like, oh, life is supposed to be fun and sunshine and roses versus how do you go about as an owner making your employment of those people great for you as, as a company, but also trying to at least make it enjoyable for them as well. Yeah. Enjoyable might be a tough, a tough uh, bar to hit, but I think, you know, a lot of it is, First of all, this everyone says, "Oh, the millennials—they don't want to work." It, it's it's not the millennials; it's every twenty-something. It was the it was Gen X, it was Gen Y. Whenever you're in your twenty-somethings, you you don't take you don't want to work. You don't want to do what the generation before you did. And then when you get to be 40, 50 years old, you're then saying, "Oh my God, those twenty-year-olds!" So it's not anything new. This has been going on forever. Um, I don't know if we can make our work that enjoyable if you don't like working with your hands you don't like coding or programming or whatever your role within the company is um what i you know the, 
from a small company perspective, where I see a lot of owners mess up is they underbid jobs and therefore have to squeeze, you know, three days worth of labor into two days or five days into four days or whatever it is. And that pushes their team harder than they should be pushed. And that falls on the owner of the company. That's a, that's a mistake. And you need to, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You know, as Dennis said, there'll be days you leave at two. There'll be days you leave at eight. Things are going to go wrong on a job site or, the, or you're going to you're going to overbid something and be done it and think it's going to take all day. And you're done at two or you, or you just don't have anything to do with that the rest of the afternoon. You let them go. And I think it's that flexibility that's really important to people um, in our industry. I think if you're going into you know a, a, a pseudo construction industry, you sort of have to expect you're going to work. I'm surprised you're finding people who don't want to. Although I guess I had one or two who didn't want to work. I don't want to talk about it, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just you know it's it's being good to them. It's you know hey we, we are done at two o'clock and there's nothing to get done in the warehouse or nothing to get done in the office. Go home, you know, or hey you're. When, when they call and say, my kid is sick, it's like, all right, you know, take the morning, you know, take care of your kid, you know, wait till mm -hmm. you can get into daycare, wait till, you know, a caregiver can come in or something. I understand you're going to be here late. I'm not going to dock you for being an hour or two late because other days you work an hour or two more. I'm going to be, you know, a, a reasonable manager. I think those are the things you do. You treat people the way you want to be treated. You treat them like yeah. they're an adult and not a child. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. Listen, that, that woman, I think she actually lived in the New York area who you were talking about. Who's like, did. how can I have, I, I have this long commute. <laughs> how can I have a social life? It takes me an hour and a half to get to work, an hour and a half to get home. I can't afford to live in the city. I have to live in these suburbs. Lady, that's what we all did when we were young and, and didn't have, you know, and had to work. You, you had to be there at 830 or 9. I, I couldn't believe when I read that she had an office job. She was leaving at 5 o'clock. I'm like, what office job leaves at 5 o'clock? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That so, one. yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what she was doing, but yeah, that one, that one I, I, I just laughed about. So, yeah, but I think it's, I think it's treat your people right. They're not going to get the perks. They're not going to get the massages. They're not going to get the lunches. They're not going to get, you know, all the things that Twitter and Google are going to offer, but we can offer them, you know, uh, humanity in terms of if something's going on with their family and need some time off um, and treating them like an adult and let them, you know, let them manage their day as much as possible. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, let's change topics for a second before I get too much hate mail. Uh, this comes to us from Residential Systems, and seriously, send it. I love it. Um, the rise of innovative lighting in smart homes, demonstrating the impact of lighting and shades in the home with the 2023 CDS Smart Home Award winners. <coughs> Excuse me. Go check this this article out, the summation. Uh, it shows uh, a couple different uh, projects that won uh, one for excellent excellence in lighting, uh, the integrated home in the luxury uh, segment, I guess, and the excellent in excellence in lighting for the Americas region, showing three really really cool projects um, that are great examples of lighting and lighting control in the home. Mark, let me let me start with you on this one. We continue to talk about lighting. I've talked about it on the show for literally since we started the show. Um, if you're not heavily into lighting these days, how do you get started in it at this point? I'll be honest. I don't consider us heavily into lighting. We do, we do lighting control. We don't sell lighting fixtures. You know, we'll sell low, um, LED drivers and things and tape and things like that, but we're not selling you know, chandeliers or fixtures or anything. Um, usually the designer or the lighting designer, if there's a lighting designer, the job is doing all of that. So we're not heavily into it. Um, 
frankly, I don't know if I want to get heavily into it. It's very design focused. It's very aesthetic. I clearly have no sense of taste. I'm wearing a hoodie. I mean, what, what, yeah, there's money there. Um, probably the biggest benefit to getting into selling the fixtures is that, you know, you can pair the fixture with the control. So, you know, you're going to be able to control it well. Um, so I, you know, the way to get into it, I guess, is beyond jobs without a lighting designer. I mean, because usually this fall, usually the interior designer wants to do this or there's a lighting designer on the job. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not trained. I'm not going to get into this unless I get trained. That's probably step one is you have to, I remember you've talked about this quite a bit, Matt, the training that's out there that's available. That's what you have to do. I mean, you, you can't just walk into this, like a, like a lot of people did in the AV business, like, oh, I can, I can mount a TV. I'm yeah. going to be an AV guy. Um, you can't just walk into lighting. You have to know what you're talking about. And yet. <laughs> <laughs> and yet. Um, and again, I won't finish that one either. Uh, Dennis, I, I, I love these projects. Um, La Scala's in here. They always do a fantastic job. ETC Florida. Uh, I, I've seen a couple of their projects. Again, phenomenal work. The question I have, and, and and something that I have battled with, we'll say, as a huge proponent of our industry getting more and more into lighting, not just from the control side, but you know, to Mark's point specifically, into the design side, right? We are very well attuned as as far as like a contractor on a site. We are probably the best attuned out of everyone there to understand how light affects a space. We, we, we get these principles. But when I look at not only these projects, but the majority of lighting projects, they are not mid-market. They're definitely not entry level. Is there a space for the AV world to compete in, and we're not even gonna talk about DIY, but even in the mid, like the mid-market and below, or is lighting really just designed for that upper echelon? So you're talking to someone who is about to put our group into lighting. Um, Perfect. We are designing what we will be selling. Um, and when I say designing, we're not, I didn't go to China and I'm picking or um, we're working with several manufacturers to come out with what I will call a beginning lineup that involves training. And it will, I, I don't know where it'll end, but uh, we are starting to, to walk down this path. And, and you know, the only thing I, I, what's happening is that I think our average integrator right now is getting more and more and more involved. And it depends who your clientele is. Obviously that makes a big difference. Um, we're not going to be selling chandeliers, but we will be selling some fixtures, mostly in can and direct type lighting for starters mm -hmm. and packages. Um, but I, I think what's happening in my favorite word since I've been six years old, we've been fed the word convergence. And every year the world in, in audio and video is going to converge. And I think we're starting. Um, finally, after all these years to enter into convergence, where people are looking at putting their alarm system, their control, their shades. Um, shades is another example. I think similar to lighting, we got into shades 
our business is in that area booming and we have, you know, we have four different types of motors. We have indoor, outdoor, we have full shade, light, you know, partial shade, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the list goes on. But that was an area that we started small. We started slow. Um, you need to be involved when you do this kind of stuff, especially on our end with the correct factories, because if you're mm -hmm. expecting an overnight to start the car and zoom away, that isn't going to happen. But the one thing I'll, I'll say, and, and, and Mark made reference, but again, the word convergence, we have some electricians who are starting to come our way. You know, there's a lot of people that are entering into this space from different, from different exits. And I think for the smart installer, integrator, um, they need to be prepared that just hanging TVs and doing control and doing some of the things we've done as we move forward will not be enough. And so that's mm -hmm. how I, I look at it. But I, I think, um, and, and, and Matt, I've said this to you before, you know, for the guys, there are guys out there and, and Mark made reference who take a job and do it too cheap. And I've said this on this show numerous times. I, I, I go back to Ronald Reagan, just say no. If you don't believe you can do the job correctly, say no. Because it, you, it, you, can't, you can't win when you're doing something specific like putting an average Yamaha receiver in a 24-7, in a 365 scenario, commercial scenario. That doesn't work. It, it, it is cheaper. <laughs> it is cheaper. There's no doubt. And it embarrasses a lot of integrators who, who do the right thing to that particular job. But training, mm -hmm. training, training, training. And Matt, you even referenced it. When you give a bid, you, you got to do what's reasonable, what's fair for the consumer, but also fair for yourself. And, and frankly, there still are going to be times as knowledgeable as everybody is where you bid it too cheap because you ran into something or frankly, you bid it too high because you didn't run into what you thought you were going to run into. Um, but mm -hmm. if it ain't right, don't do it. And, but I think lighting is going to become fairly important in this channel at certain levels, not to the one percenters, as I call them, that people want you to do all kind of up and down lighting with chandeliers all over their house. That's, that's not us. Um, but I think on average, we will be getting into that. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, gentlemen, let's hit our last story of the day. This comes to us from Residential Tech Today. Why Smart Home Automation Needs User-Centric Design uh, by Doug Robertson. Um, go go read through this article. It This is the first time, to my knowledge, that I've seen anyone in the residential space um, focus on or heck even mention user-centric design as a concept not centering your design around a user but specifically the um the concept of user-centric design which is a huge thing in um user interface design from a like a corporate or a um you know major manufacturer level uh, it's also something that's been really, really big in kind of the Avixa space for the last, I don't know, five, maybe 10 years as far as creating user-centric designs. 
So as I said, this is the first time I've seen this, which is really interesting to see. Um, Dennis, let me let me start with you on this one. Do we as an industry know where this fits as far as actually understanding the concept of user-centric design and then how to apply it into the systems we build? No, 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 and no. Um, <laughs> you know, we walk in and, and we have our toolboxes and we have our offerings. And again, I think this goes back to the integrator going to the, the family or the commercial, so whatever setting it is, and understanding what are they trying to achieve? What's the goal? And maybe there are several goals and maybe on this go round, you're only gonna do half of those goals. Um, but I think what happens is we all get so um, involved with all these cool gadgets and Google certainly helps our customers think that they can be so cool with all these gadgets in their home that they expect every home to be able to do these 5 million things. And um, I, I just, again, I think it's something slowly we're, we're working our way, but I, I can tell you from my vantage point, I, I probably get offered 10 to 15 new gadgets a month. And some of them are great, but I'm not sure that, you know, the average consumer is prepared for what that gadget can do. And, and now, and I'm sure you guys are fine. The new buzzword now for me is, I, I keep hearing from everybody on these gadgets, we're in an open system where we can accept to work with everybody else. Well, that's the kiss of death because, you know, that there's always some wrong turn there that something doesn't communicate with something. The open architecture, that's the word I was using, open architecture of our product. Um, I think it's something, again, in small steps, we need to get better at. As good as we are, I think we need to get better, um, but we need to slow down our consumers and understanding, okay, I, I know what you're saying, but what is your goal? You know, what are you trying to achieve? And let's work with that realm first. And let's make their expectations realistic because sometimes they're not realistic. And then that's what's rolling a truck back to them 30 times where they start getting button happy or, or, or uh, internet happy. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. All right, Mark, put a, put a bow on this. Because again, I, I love the concept of this. And uh, while Dennis was talking, I was trying to find, I have a book, I couldn't find it in my office before the show. Um, so I was trying to find a link to it and I couldn't, so I'll try to find that. Um, but it was like one of the initial user-centric design kind of handbooks, if you will, that went through literally how you apply that to any project you're working on. It was really, really cool. Um, we like to think in our industry that yes, we build our systems to focus on the users. And then we typically build systems that our users can just kind of understand and they can use at a surface level, but anything advanced becomes problematic. How do we take this and actually tailor systems to the user so that it's 
functional and easy for them to use, yet also make it profitable for us to do it. Yeah, and I'm also going to throw in there, be ultra reliable and not cause truck rolls and not cause frustration on the on the, on the homeowner's end because it doesn't work. There's too many things. And that's where I run into the... <laughs> And that's why I run into the problem with all these. I was reading the article and it was about, oh, you know, home assistant or home seer was one of his examples. Mm -hmm. He was using a lot of either DI, either like true DIY techie examples or, you know, consumer centric, consumer grade examples that don't integrate with anything. So, yeah, great. That's a great solution for that one um, subsystem. But now you've got five different subsystems that don't talk to each other or don't do so reliably. Um, and that's something we can't have happen. So I, I, uh, I think to a large extent it has to happen. It has to come from our, either a, a new manufacturer has to enter the space. And to some extent, I think Josh is possibly the closest to being there. Um, but you know, it has to come from either the Crestrons, the control fours, the Josh's of the world, because we need it to all integrate. We need it all to play well together. Having a great lighting system is great, but if it doesn't talk to the shading system, it doesn't talk to the sound system, it doesn't talk to the TV, it doesn't talk to the thermostat and the door lock and the security system, you know, they're all going to be different interfaces and you're going to be back to wall acne on the wall and the consumer's not going to want to know, which, not going to know which remote to pick up or which button to push to do what. Um, so it's all going to work together. And I think that's the biggest challenge, even though they have open architecture, Dennis, they still don't work together well. <laughs> um so I, you know, I don't know if that answers your question, Matt, but I, that's the struggle I have is that it's got to be, it's got to all work together and it's got to be reliable. And I don't think uh, we're nowhere near there yet that, from what I can tell and from what I've seen in the marketplace. So unfortunately, to Dennis's point, it's we have the toolkits we have, we have the products we have, the solutions we have, we can tailor the space to how the homeowner is going to use it, you know, what, you know, where they want buttons, where they want to control things from, whether it, they're more into using a touchscreen mounted to the wall or keypad buttons or a phone or a handheld remote um, and how they want to live and work in the space. We can tailor things in that sense, but I, I think we're going to be a little beholden to what our, ven our, our manufacturing partners offer at this point, unless somebody comes, a breakthrough you know, player comes in. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there. Thank you both so much for joining us. Mark, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Home Theater Advisors, where can they do that? Best is at our website, hometheateradvisors.com, um, mark at hometheateradvisors.com via email or at HT Advisors uh, throughout social media. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Mr. Holzer, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Powerhouse Alliance, uh, where can they do that? They can do it at one of two places. If Obviously, we're all a bunch of distributors, so you can go to www.powerhousealliance.com. You can find out the distributor who covers your area. If you want to talk to me personally, I'm happy to talk to you. And I can be reached at dholzer, H-O-L-Z-E-R, at powerhousealliance.com. Excellent. Thank you again uh, for watching. Uh, if you'd like to connect with me, you can still find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter or X. Uh, and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. <coughs> when you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. 
What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Hi, this is Jennifer Goodyear. And Erica Carroll. From From the the Women Women in in AV podcast, podcast. where we are encouraged by the incredible stories of women in AV. Listen in on fun, empowering conversations as we chat with inspiring women, breaking barriers and creating their own path in the industry. Check out Women in AV on avnation.tv or wherever you get your podcasts.